Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. No spin, no bias, no censorship. This is the Dan Wooten Show on Talk Radio, the home of free speech. Dan's Dispatch on Talk Radio. What makes life worth living? If you're like me, this somewhat existential question has been on your mind these past few months. I've become certain the answer can be summed up with just one word. Freedom. It's the ability to live healthily, safely and securely, seeing the ones you love as often as possible, or choosing to disappear into the anonymity of a crowd of beautiful strangers. While I do accept this year has required monumental changes to the way we live, as we stare 13 months, 13 months of lockdown restrictions in the face, I genuinely fear for the world in which we will emerge. False optimism coming from those in power, the media and the public sector who have breezed through this lockdown has become as damning as genuinely bad news. Yes, this week's vaccine rollout provides real reason to hope. But do we really trust this government to smoothly undertake the biggest logistical exercise since World War II within four months? The vast majority of us have not forgotten that back in July, Boris Johnson assured the country this would all be over by Christmas. I am more convinced than ever that the response to the coronavirus has become a case of the elites versus real Brits. Of course, the elites are comfortable to hang on in there for a further six months because they have no idea about how the rest of us live. The elites have big homes which comfortably fit their entire families. The elites have a spare bedroom to convert into a home office with special seats and expensive laptop computers sent by the corporation who they work for. The elites have a garden in which to exercise, sometimes with a yoga instructor secretly smuggled in. The elites can invite their rich friends around for clandestine parties, Rita Ora style, without the flat next door threatening to call the cops. The elites work in industries or the public service where their jobs are secure and salaries haven't been touched. Of course, with a little patience, they can go on like this until April or even June. And then they'll resume their gilded lives, the shopping sprees at Harrods, the trips to their second home in Dorset and the cocktail parties at Westminster. But for most real Brits, like you and I, the destruction inflicted by these COVID lockdowns will last for many years. And for some, it will never go away. Now, we heard that this week, didn't we? We were touched uh, by the very stoic Irene from Durham, whose coronavirus story sums up the catastrophic toll of lockdown. The 62-year-old lost her son two months ago due to missed cancer treatment, and she has now taken on the guardianship of his children. Self-employed, For seven years, her business has been virtually obliterated. Since March, she has taken the equivalent of just six weeks of income in. Uh, And this means zero support from the government, nothing from the government. In recent weeks, Irene was forced to sell her car and wedding ring to keep afloat and be able to feed her grandkids a diet of carrot and turnip soup. 
She put it so bravely and eloquently, I think, when she said to me, I understand that people are scared and have fear of unknown things, but we need to get some perspective. That perspective could lead us to a path back to freedom even faster than a vaccine. The Dan Wooden Show on Talk Radio. Lance Foreman is a former MEP and businessman. Benjamin Butterworth is the late editor at the I newspaper. They both join me now. Benjamin, are you happy to wear masks and social distance in perpetuity as JVT seemed to suggest last night? I mean, what what Jonathan Van Tam said was that there are definitely benefits, obvious benefits that we've learned through this virus pandemic this year to not coming too close to each other, to wearing a mask mask in uh, close company, to hand sanitizing far more regularly. And I think there's a lot of logic to that. Do I think that the government should keep the laws right now where you are fined if you don't wear a mask on a train or the tube, for example. No, I think after the pandemic, it's probably fair enough to not fine you. But do I think it should be public health advice from the government that it would be good practice for us all to keep doing those things when we're out and about in close contact, mainly in the winter? And then I think, yes, that's a good idea. Okay, so you want to change British culture for good then? Because can you imagine what a sad sight it would be looking at a football stand with everyone covering up their face or being on a tube, not able to see what each other is 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 looking like, and 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 our full face. I, I mean, that just doesn't seem like us. Maybe it works in Japan, but we're not Japan. We're Great Britain. <laughs> Dan, nobody gets on the tube to look at each other. You know, maybe you get fancy private cars around London, but when I get the tube, no one talks or looks at each other in the first place, oh, long Benjamin. before this pandemic. Benjamin, I go on the tube all the time, all the time. And one of the things I love about the tube is being able to people watch and see people. And I think we don't want to be covering ourselves up long term. I mean, Lance Foreman, can you see any logic behind what Benjamin Butterworth is saying? Actually, we've got to maybe do this for the greater good. Uh, read my lips, Dan, which is something you won't be able to do if I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm very happy to socially distance from the type of people who want to force me to socially distance. Like Benjamin. Um, that's about it. Um, you know, I just think that, um, you know, you have to come back to the question of this vaccine. What was the point of the vaccine if it's not allow- allowing us to get back to normality? Yeah. Uh, normality means that we shouldn't need to wear all this special protection and we should just be able to go back to the way we were before. That was the whole point of the vaccine. Otherwise, you know, why have it at all? Yeah, Benjamin, isn't that the point, man? We're getting this vaccine in order to return to normal life. And I'm sorry, if you want to go to Glastonbury, uh, Benjamin Butterworth, with a mask on, trying to keep two metres space from everyone, then you're living in cloud cuckoo land. That's not how life works. I want to go to a concert without a mask on. I want to get close to a whole bunch of beautiful strangers. And if it means that I've got to take the vaccine in order to do that, then fine. But for you to try and say we're going to vaccinate the entire population and then have to maintain social distancing and mask wearing, I think think you've lost the support of the public there. But hang on, what this is about, first of all, the vaccine will stop, basically completely stop anyone dying or getting seriously ill. We don't know if it will stop 
or passing it on. So that might be something that lives with us and there'll be a real value to these precautions. Yes, but we but live with flu. We live with measles. We live with SARS. We live with HIV. Do you not understand, Benjamin? We live with a whole load of things. On. We've only ever wiped out one of them, smallpox. Danny, you've made my argument for you. We've lived with HIV, sadly, for 30 years. And that's why people use protection when they're having sex with each other, because they know it's a sensible way to enjoy their lives without contracting the virus. You've made the point for me. And what I would say... Well, is I haven't made at- the point for you, because actually there's a lot of treatments now for HIV. Just like Lance Foreman, we live with no end of respiratory diseases. And of course, we should take sensible precautions, washing our hands, keeping clean. But personally, I don't want our culture to change to the extent where keeping two metres distance from everyone and wearing a mask all the time becomes a normal way of life. That's not what I want. And I don't think it's what most ordinary Brits want. Yeah, but but also you have to understand that the, the body builds its immunity by coming into contact with disease, with dirt. You know, You know, one of the reasons I believe that we have so many issues in the West nowadays with food allergies and intolerances is because everything has just become so ultra hygienic that we've actually lost our human ability to defend ourselves. So there is something to be, I'm not saying that we should be totally reckless, but there is something to be said for actually making sure that we have our own natural immunity. Benjamin's very angry about that. Benjamin, Benjamin, what's made you angry there? I mean, you know, I'm arguing against someone who's seemingly pro-dirt. I mean, that's just absurd. You might want to live in filth, Lance, but I think being clean and hygienic is not only good for ourselves, but it's good for the people we share this world and share our offices and tubes and trains and cars with, and that's responsible. And the point I would make is that countries like Malaysia that had... Uh, viruses like these in recent years and change their habits as a result. So they regularly wear masks, they wash far more regularly. They've seen a significant fall in the number of people getting things like flu during the winter, which has massively helped their health system. Okay, so Benjamin, Nobody lost their you're never... Okay, but masks, let's just think about... Lives. Benjamin, let's Benjamin, just... Th- the reason that has happened, mm. and there's been a lot of evidence on this, is because they've built up T-cell immunity. You know, the, the immune system has built up a sort of memory bank from those earlier illnesses. That's why it's not happening. You know, there, 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 there's a lot of evidence uh, in Spain for people wearing masks, um, you know, much more so than they were ever doing beforehand. And that hasn't affected the uh, the death rates with uh, with COVID. So, it, you know, it's... It, our the, immune, the our immune system... That's, that's, the, that's the issue here. The scientists do not agree. And what's been frustrating me mm. over recent months is that the government just simply goes down one line, brings in one set of scientists, and the public, you know, with, with social media and with the availability of information, people can go out and do their own research. And what they're yeah. finding is there's this whole mass of information which is saying something completely opposite. Yeah, and I more and more people are doing that. that. More and more people are doing that. Both sets of scientists together, let them debate it up. Let the public see that debate. And then the government should decide how it wants to act and give its rationale for acting in a certain way. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're causing sort of untold concern and fear because people don't really understand. They're, they're hearing too. It's not fear, Lance. It's safety and reality, and it's good for us. Well, no, Benjamin, Actually, Benjamin, Benjamin, say, hang up, hang on a moment. Benjamin, how can it be safe when thirty thousand people have died because they've been afraid to go to hospital or because they couldn't get appointments to hospital? That is, you know, so much of that is built out of fear. And but you seem to think two wrongs makes a right. 
Well, no, Benjamin, Benjamin, let me come in here. Benjamin, I I, I want to just understand what you're saying, though, because Mm -hmm. if you really think about it, if you really think hard, what you are proposing is a fundamental change to British society and actually Western society as well. Because following your logic, Benjamin Butterworth, there'll never be a concert again. There'll never be a festival again. There'll never be a mass gathering again. There'll never be a full crowd in football stadiums again. So I think you need to be very careful with what you're saying, Benjamin Butterworth. You've got to make sure that's what you mean. Because if you are proposing a long-term implementation of social distancing and mask policies, think of the consequences, Benjamin. You will never be dancing in a nightclub again, surrounded by beautiful strangers who just want to be all together. Think about that. Think about the consequences of that. I am not saying that people should not be able to crowd in a nightclub club or go to a, yes, a steps you concert as I would love to. I'm not. What I'm saying is that there are points in our lives where we can keep what we've been doing now, like wearing a mask or avoiding each other on the train, for example, not sitting right next to each other. And a great example. How is do we do we that, might- Benjamin? Because it's easy and sensible and healthy. And may I make this point? You know, all three of us are men. So I suspect, you know, when we go to the men's toilets, we know full well that a lot of men don't wash their hands after doing that. They don't clean themselves. They don't sanitize regularly. That is something that wasn't okay. People have been much cleaner in those ways. It's clean and it helps stop spread viruses. Of course, everyone should be clean. But it's very, very different. If you are genuinely saying that you think we should never sit next to someone on a train again, you are talking about a total overhaul of the way we live our lives in a major city like Manchester or or London or Leeds or Liverpool that would simply be impossible so I think the whole point of a vaccine Lance is so that we can go back to our normal lives so that we can sit next to people again on the train well whether it's a vaccine or it's our own natural immunity um, yeah, of course we do. You know, we should leave, you know, what other animals in the, uh, you know, in the, uh, the animal kingdom wear masks to protect themselves in that way? You know, we are essentially animals. We have this natural immune, we have this natural yeah. immune system. Of course, we should just do what we, you know, take personal responsibility to protect ourselves. That's another natural human instinct. Mm. But, That's um, just nonsense. So, and, and if diseases, and if diseases do well, come out nonsense, of COVID-19, but, but saying that we should be like other animals in the animal kingdom. I mean, lions and cats and dogs can't perform surgery on the, each other. Should we not do what surgery or have antibiotics? What a load of nonsense. Which, it's not nonsense at all. We have been designed with our own natural immunity. That's the point I'm making. And we also have these incredible brains that have the ability to devise uh, innovatory sort of technology and vaccinations that can cure these illnesses. And that's great. And we've just come up with a vaccination now. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think but, what and I think what maybe snowflakes like yourself, Benjamin, don't understand is that throughout human history, we've had many of these coronaviruses and respiratory diseases, which might start being pretty damaging. But as soon as there is a degree of herd immunity, we can go back to the way that we live. Final word to you, Benjamin. Look, I think that we can learn something to help make each other safe, safer and healthier in this. And we don't need to ban nightclubs or ban concerts and football matches. But there are ways in our daily life, like keeping a mask and sanitising far more regularly, that I think we'd all be a damn sight healthier to take from this year as a healthy lesson. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online 
you'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Dan Wooden Show on Talk Radio. Douglas Murray is here now. And Douglas, I have to say, I let out a hallelujah when I read The Spectator today because finally, finally, someone is putting the case very strongly, in this case you, for China to pay us reparations uh, for the terrible damage they have inflicted upon the world this year after the outbreak of coronavirus. Put your case because I love it. Well, great to be with you and your listeners, Dan. Um, Yeah, I I was prompted to write this piece in this week's Spectator because of a headline I saw uh, this week, which said, China driving global recovery. Uh, it was as if it was one of these business uh, report stories. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Good Thanks, for them. China. Good yeah. for them. Jolly good for you. Uh, and, and it was as if, you know, maybe we could all follow China. Maybe China could lead the way. And, of course, what struck me then, as has struck me all year, is that, of course, we're only here because China drove the global economy into a breakdown. And uh, I'm amazed, you know, at all times, there's the daily chatter of news and there are the deep underlying themes. And one of the deep underlying themes of this year is that China, for the third time this decade, uh, produced deliberately or accidentally an incredibly dangerous virus that went round the world. And this one they knew about. They knew how bad it was when they were still allowing people to travel. They stopped people traveling within China when they were still allowing people to travel outside of China, spreading the virus from Wuhan to the rest of the world. The attempts and the claims that have been made, the requests that have been made by our allies like Australia saying, we would like an international inquiry into how this happened, have been responded to by the Chinese uh, uh, with threats against Australia, with mm. threats against Australian trade and much more. So it's like it's a thing we're not allowed to talk about. We're meant to all now, uh, and now we've all been you know, locked in our homes for the last year because of this, and we've got a bit of hope now on the horizon that we can actually meet our loved ones again in the near future. But all the time, uh, it, it's as if we're just meant to forget uh, the great global bully uh, who at best... Um, accidentally uh, destroyed our economies this year. And I'm just stunned by the way in which this has just fallen off the radar whilst we've been talking vaccines and everything else. I think you're completely right. I mean, I've been desperate to talk about the Chinese cover-up, the Chinese wet markets, uh, the retaliation from the Chinese government. But if you look at the narrative in much of the mainstream media, it's not there. It's simply not there. And you also make uh, the very correct point, of course, that perhaps the other great thing from China's point of view that they achieved this year was the end of the Donald Trump presidency. Because we can't also forget it was Trump 
that had started to have China on the ropes, at least. There was a world leader uh, challenging mm. them when it came to trade, and they didn't like it very much. That's right. I mean, uh, China was on course to become the predominant economic power on the globe. And Donald Trump, uh, for whom there are many criticisms to make, saw a big thing here. And he saw that he didn't want America to take second place on the world stage to a, to a country which is still run by a communist regime. Uh, uh, you know, one, nobody should ever blame the Chinese people for this because the Chinese people haven't totally. had a say in how they're in the, totally. a say in how they're, they're actually governed for seven decades. Absolutely. So it's uh, this so, despicable you know, this is... communist Chinese regime and what they do to the Chinese uh, people. And we do need to stress that is yeah. horrendous and horrific. And the human rights violations are horrendous and horrific. So, no, I think we can absolutely be clear. We're yeah. not criticizing the Chinese people. We're, we're criticizing the Communist Party. Exactly, that runs the country, immiserates the people, and is and is responsible at the very least for the cover up of what we should have known a lot earlier about this virus. And you know, now we see that uh, China is expected to grow by about one point eight percent of GDP this year. But uh, you know, last week uh, the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer in our country, uh, Rishi Sunak, gave his. Uh, um, spending review to the House of Commons. And what he revealed is not unusual, sadly, in the world today, but it's dire. You know, we have the largest fall in output this year in the UK that we've seen in over 300 mm. years. Our economy is contracted by 11%. Uh, you know, uh, debt to GDP. Debt's meant to constitute about 97.5% of our GDP within a few years, thanks to the borrowing of this year on top of everything else. And all this stuff is meant to just sort of, just sort of wash through. And I say, isn't it time that the world economies that have been shut down by China this year, by this virus that came out of China, that the Communist Party of China has done everything it can to cover over, including by disappearing scientists it would be quite useful to speak to. Mm. Uh, isn't it time that the Communist Party of China was made to pay? Now, as you know, I say in the piece at the end, I am absolutely open to every and any suggestions on this. Uh, maybe the world just needs to start whacking vast tariffs on everything coming from China. Maybe they've got to be sanctions. I don't know. What I know is that you can't crash the whole global economy and then walk away from the wreckage and drive off in your beautiful car and say, hey, guys, bye, uh, see you, wouldn't want to be you. I think the whole thing is contemptible. Uh, that we're in this situation. I think it's contemptible that Western politicians aren't making more of a noise. And I think it's appalling that there isn't more recognition that whenever somebody does make a noise, like the Australians did earlier this year, they are responded to by the communist authorities in China as if the communist authorities of China already run the globe. Completely. What, 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 uh, the way the Chinese Communist Party reacted to the Australian government was a threat, though, wasn't it? It was a shot across the bows. And we have seen a feeble response by the UK government, sadly, because they are scared of the economic power that, that, Chinese hold, that China holds and the damage that the Chinese government could do to our economy. Mm. Well, that's right. I mean, there's, there's something worse than that, which is the trap that we're all now in. See, all of our economies, because all of our economies are in this mess because we've all had to shut down this year. You can, you can debate the nature of the shutdown in the UK, but basically we've all had to do the same thing, or at least every country has mm. done something like the same thing. Um, and uh, to get us out of the financial hole we're going to be in, uh, it will be very tempting 
uh, to look for any investment. And frankly, China, after 2020, comes out uh, looking at a buyer's market. They're like a cash buyer in an era of uh, property slump. You know, they will be able to go around buying up a lot of things very cheap from a lot of very desperate global economies. And this is going to require an enormous amount of restraint and careful uh, cooperation from other countries, including this one, not to fall into this situation. We're like somebody uh, whose whose entire uh, neighborhood has been laid waste, uh, who then has somebody who is responsible for that coming and offering us uh, uh, to buy our house at an incredibly low cost. Uh, And we cannot fall into that trap. And so I say this is going to need international cooperation and international thought. But the most important thing is China gave us 2020 and the Chinese Communist Party is going to have to be made to pay. Just back to the economic question, Douglas, how can you explain the fact that that China's economy has grown this year? So we're down 11.2%. They're up 1.8%. How is that possible? Well, I think there are a lot of factors. There is one thing I should add, by the way, which is that anyone who's ever done business in China knows you can't trust any of the books you're shown. So um, uh, the, the, this is this is a an estimate that should come with a warning. Uh, but uh, but the, but the fact is that because the uh, authorities in China are, of course, completely authoritarian, uh, they do a lot of things uh, that no democratic government could do, uh, including during the shutdowns. And uh, I don't doubt, by the way, at all that the country is taking risks because of its authoritarian regime, which other countries wouldn't be able to take. Uh, it isn't a normal regime. We've got to remember, I mean, this is a regime which currently has an estimated one million Uyghur Muslims in something approximating concentration camps, yeah, basically, despicable. in their country. All this, stu- all this stuff is going on. It's the sort of things that the next generations will read about in history books. But the big question, uh, 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 risks being... How did those people in 2020 put put up with all of that, suffer all of that at a personal, at a national, at an international level? How did they suffer all of that and allow the regime that m- managed to allow it to happen to be the only one that walked away a winner? And of course, that then leads to the big question, which you also tackle in your column. And, 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 and let me just read out a couple of lines from it, Douglas, and get you to elaborate. You ask, is it a conspiracy theory to believe this could have been deliberate? I wouldn't have said so. And nor do many people in the intelligence world. So that's the question, isn't it, Douglas? And it's the question mm. that no one has been able to answer, but we do know that there have been sources within the US State Department that do believe that China in some way deliberately unleashed uh, this virus. But it hasn't been proven, and maybe it will never be proven. Well, that's right. It it may never be proven because, as I say, the authorities in China have done so much to try to make sure they've covered the whole thing over by disappearing people who know. Um, uh, There are people, as I say in the column, there are many people actually in the intelligence communities around the world, including in the Five Eyes intelligence uh, agencies, who at least think this is something worth looking into. Um, Experts in virology have remarked that there are patterns within the virus which make it seem like it could have come from the laboratory. There is at least a question over this. And whether it came from the laboratory or the wet market, uh, the question then is, is it deliberate? Uh, And why was the world 
uh, not told by China, if it knew that basically it had this WMD that was going out across the world, why did the Chinese authorities know and not tell any of us? Uh, the, the, this isn't the realm of conspiracy theory. This is what's going on right now. It's the story underneath the year we've all just had to suffer through. And the people who say, you know, that's conspiracy theory, you shouldn't look into it, are trying to shut down a conversation which our successors will just be amazed that we're allowed to be shut down in such a manner. Because the only people it benefits are the communist leaders in China. The Dan Wooden Show on Talk Radio. The Political Panel. It is 5.33. Let me bring in today's panel. Calvin Robinson is a conservative commentator from the right. And Miata Fambula is the chief executive at the New Economics Foundation from the left. Lots to discuss. But first, let's have a listen to Dr. Anthony Fauci. So he is uh, one of the foremost authorities on coronavirus across the world. Of course, the key figure in the US, highly trusted, loved by the liberal media. And he has just slammed. Uh, our process of approving the Pfizer vaccine a couple of days before America. This is what he had to say. If you go quickly and you do it superficially, people are not going to want to get vaccinated. We have the gold standard of a regulatory approach with the FDA. The UK did not do it as carefully. They got a couple of days ahead. I don't think that makes much difference. We'll be there. We'll be there very soon. Calvin Robinson, I'm pretty outraged by this, actually, because... Dr. Fauci seems to be coming increasingly politicised. Of course, he has spoken out against President Trump uh, for many months now and forget whether that's right or wrong. He is a politicised figure. But isn't he putting public health at risk by trying to do down the way that we have approved the vaccine? And look, if, if we're only a couple of days ahead of America, how can he say that we haven't done it properly and America has? It just seems to be sour grapes, but is potentially very damaging because this is going to be leapt on, isn't it, by anyone who has issues with this vaccine, Calvin? Sour grapes is a good term for it, Dan. You're absolutely spot on there. We got there first. We've got some of the best scientists in the world uh, and we managed to get this out before anyone, any other country. That's fantastic. That's something to celebrate. Uh, people are going to be very wary about a new vaccine, rightly so. Uh, so what we need to do is instill the public with confidence. We don't want to be making people even more afraid than they already are uh, by being prejudiced in this way. Uh, and like you say, it's doing down uh, the vaccine. I will be one of the first to take it if it's possible. Uh, because I want to get back to a normal life and I trust the process I, and I, I trust that this is going to help us get back to our old normal. I don't want a new normal. I'm fed up of all this, uh, this lockdown regime and all this nonsense. I want to get back to life as it was. And this is a good way of getting there. Um, I think it would be great if we could open the vaccine up first and foremost to those who are most vulnerable and give them a choice to take it if they want to and then opening it up to the general public. And that's exactly what we need to do. Miata, Dr. Fauci has been a hero for the likes of you on the liberal left. People absolutely love this guy for the way that he's taken on Donald Trump publicly. But isn't this outrageous what he said today? So I agree that it's a bit weird uh, and I think it's a little bit strange. Uh, I don't really understand uh, the motivation for it. Um, And in the end, he 
can't have uh, insight into the processes that our um, regulator and our scientists have run. Um, I suspect what we've done is keep um, abreast and tracked of the data that's coming so that we can respond quite quickly. Um, it, it's a weird intervention because either the thing is safe and the US is about to approve it as well. And so for a couple of days earlier, I, I, I just I don't particularly get it. Um, I don't really know the framing and the context of the question that he was asked, but I think the response seems a bit odd. Yeah, I, I absolutely think it does. I mean, it's interesting because there's been a lot of tub thumping from the government. This is this is how Gavin Williamson uh, justified the fact that 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 we're first and and perhaps the fact that it makes us best. Have a listen. I'll get you to react off the back, Kelvin. Well, I, I just reckon we've got the very best people in this country and we've obviously got the best medical regulators, much better than the French have, much better than the Belgians have, much better than the Americans have. That doesn't surprise me at all because we're a much better country than every single one of them. So, I mean, maybe his tongue was firmly in cheek there, Calvin, but given this is an American manufactured vaccine, is it really sensible for us to join the path of vaccine nationalism. I mean, personally, I want the whole world to work together, Calvin, because until the whole world works together on fighting coronavirus, which is, by the way, something I've said right from day one of this pandemic, we're not going to be able to travel again. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't use the word nationalism, though. I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of patriotism. In fact, I've been calling out for this government to show some patriotism for a long time. So I'm pleased to hear Gavin Williamson say that. Uh, you know, we have put money, we have invested into all of these vaccines. Oxford have also come up with one, but we did invest in this one too. We've heavily funded them, so we have a right to be proud of them. But also we've gotten there first and we're getting out to support the people that need it. That's that's all great news. And I don't think we should listen to any of the uh, the mainstream media, people like the BBC who are wanting to turn this into something that it's not. It's not jingoism, it's not nationalism, it's just a little bit of a healthy dose of patriotism which is something we all need right now. So, Miata, we should be flying the Union Jack saying we're better than France, we're better than Belgium, we're better than the USA, and that's why we're going to be first in the world to giving our citizens this jab. Let's celebrate. Is that how you feel? No, because I, I don't think we're better than any other country. I think we're all sort of struggling to make the best of this. But you know what? The thing that I am actually genuinely proud of is less the fact that we have uh, managed to approve a vaccine first, but actually the work that uh, the Oxford AstraZeneca team have done, um, because it is pretty remarkable that they've managed to develop a vaccine which will be priced at about four uh, pounds. It will be the cheapest vaccine, which means that we can distribute it across the world at an affordable rate. Um, you know, the, the scientists are very clear that yes, they wanted to make a return, but actually they don't want to make super um, excessive profits because they wanted this to be something that could help people across the world. They're, they're already geared towards distributing it in the global south as well as in the north. I'm really proud of that. I think the stance they've taken, the approach they've taken is exemplary. It's exactly the sort of thing that Britain should be doing. And on that, I think everyone should be proud. So well done to this Tory government, Miata Fanbula, because they have allowed this to happen. Well done to Boris Johnson. Uh, Maybe after some false starts, he's got your support. I've got a lot that I can criticise, but you know what? When we get things right, we should say we get things right. I think, you know, it's not just the government. It's been a huge collective effort by public servants across the piece, by scientists, by the business community. But, you know, if we get something right, we should say we get something right. Jeremy Corbyn couldn't have done this, could he? No chance. 
No, because I think in the end, it was a collective endeavor. Don't forget the number of civil servants that were behind this. So even if our politicians were messing mm. up in terms of the decisions that they were making, there was so a Do you think Jeremy Corbyn could have done this? That, uh, I, I think that with the right set of people at official level, combined with scientists and the business community coming together and working in this way, we could have achieved it. And we have. See, Calvin, I, 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 I respect... I don't know whether it's despite the politics or not. It doesn't actually matter. It really doesn't matter at this stage. We've made a really important breakthrough. Everyone that's involved deserves to be congratulated. And the key thing is it's not just the vaccine. It's our approach to it. And the fact that in it is a humanitarian approach and a global approach and that we should be proud of, irrespective of who the government... Well, absolutely. And I am proud of that. But Calvin, I I respectfully disagree with Mieta when she says it doesn't matter how we get here, because... I think it matters probably more than anything, Calvin, because we probably got here. And and by the way, I've been critical of the government when they've done things wrong. I've supported them when they've done things right. But I don't think we could have got here under a Labour government. I certainly don't think we could have got here so quickly under a socialist Labour government led by Jeremy Corbyn. Because one thing that Boris Johnson has been very clear on post-Brexit is that we're going to start cutting the red tape and we're going to be free uh, of, of the bureaucracy of the European Union. And, and as it stands, Calvinite, they may have to hurry things up now because they've been embarrassed uh, by how fast the UK has been. But, you know... Uh, the EU is talking about not even trying to get together to approve this until the new year. In the meantime, more people die as a result of lockdowns and the illness itself. Absolutely. If you know, I've also been quite critical of this government uh, over the last few months. But credit where it's due, they get things done. Brexit got it done. Coronavirus uh, vaccine got it done. They cut through the red tape. They stepped away from EU regulations and did what needed to be done. Yes, they splashed money out, but they got some results from it. And I'd also like to take a moment to congratulate Miata for, you know, showing a bit of patriotism there. If if the Labour front benches showed a bit of patriotism, maybe they wouldn't have lost the Red Wall. That's exactly what we need from the left right now, to remember their roots. So uh, well done on that note, Miata. Miata, your response? Well, thank you, Calvin, <laughs> for congratulating me. But um, I do think you're both talking a bit of nonsense about the <laughs> uh, cutting red tape piece. And why I'd say that is, you know, our regulators approve the vaccine through uh, a set of EU regulations. Mieta, UK has the EU approved this vaccine but, yet? But, but, but critically... Has the critically, EU or any nation within the EU approved this vaccine? Critically, Dan, think about the suite of policies that this government has put in place. Yes. Think about the level of regulation. Think about the level of restrictions. To claim for a second that somehow this is some free market, whatever, is complete nonsense and completely belies the reality of the last year. And actually, I think because the government was more interventionist, because the government did a set of things that are unusual, for a conservative government they probably fared better on things like economic interventions than they would elsewhere so actually they've taken Let the clothes answer. of the left and they've been far more successful and to paint it as anything else is quite frankly nonsense but miata has the european union or any individual member state within the european union approved this vaccine yet no but neither has the us and we've moved quick and great that we've moved quick that's okay but that's nothing to do with uh, you know not being part of the european union mm. we used a set of processes to get to an outcome and that's brilliant now miata i want to talk about uh, the economy the labor party has touted this graph today showing that the uk will be hit harder than other major economies this year the conservatives have let britain down that's what the labor party says uh, they are using figures 
that show the hit to our GDP is 11.2 percent, worse than, uh, according to this uh, graph, Italy and France, 9.1 percent, European Union, 7.5 percent, Germany, 5.5 percent, Canada, 5.4 percent, Japan, 5.3 percent. But then most interestingly, the best performing uh, country there, the USA, with an economy that has contracted just 3.7 percent. So this is quite interesting because the U.S. hasn't shut down. And that's why their economy hasn't contracted in the same way. And I think Donald Trump did some very good things. But it's strange to me to see Labour uh, touting the success of the Trump administration, given that they actually may have to want to lock down harder and borrow more. Well, I suspect when they were putting out the chart, they weren't really thinking about the US. They were thinking about the comparative with uh, other countries. Um, yes, but and can they were we talk of- about the US, though? Can I ask you about the US? Because that's an astonishing figure when you compare it. They're down 3.7%, we're down 11.2%. Well, so I think the two things I would say is uh, the baseline was different. Uh, So if you look at where their economy was going into the pandemic versus where ours was, it was different. But I think the critical thing is, yes, they haven't taken a a blanket uh, shutdown approach. Certain states have shut down in different ways. It still hasn't played out yet. So, you know, I would argue that, you know, if we look at the, the second spike in this country, we're now getting a grip on it. And I would say because of the fact that the government in the end opted to lock down nationally, We're seeing a huge spike in the US. LA have just had to tell its uh, population to stay at home because they're seeing a massive surge. It hasn't shaken out yet. And the key point I would make is the economic impact of this thing will be felt when we come out of the other side. And what's absolutely clear is if you don't get a control of the virus, it will kill your economy for longer. That has always been, you know, my argument is it's a false trade-off because if this thing is Mm. rampant, it is hugely Well, I disagree. And, and so I think I these just, figures don't back I, that up because as Julia Hartley well, Brewer said, Miata, where's Sweden on the list? Oh, it's down at the very bottom at minus 3.4%. Who'd have guessed that not shutting down your entire country would lead well, to a smaller hit on the economy, eh? She's right, isn't she, not, Miata? That, She's no, right. That's not true. She's right. That's not true because when you compare Sweden well, with Denmark and Finland, the hit is actually quite comparable. So that's not a right analogy. And what I'd say with the US is the chips are yet to fall. Um, I suspect that their pandemic is going to be longer and more painful. The disruption will be longer. And when we look back, I suspect that actually their hit will be as painful. And let's not forget the numbers of people that have died. Let's not forget the numbers of people they've been unemployed gdp is not but the only poverty causes death success. as well look let's let, let's let calvin respond well i think first of all this shows the immaturity of the labor campaign machine to put out this uh <laughs> graph that clearly supports the trump campaign i'm sure that wasn't their intention no, but it like is what they said, did they weren't, they weren't thinking about it were they what a silly thing to do but yeah we we know that lockdowns are damaging they destroy the economy, and we have so much evidence of this now, but they also destroy lives and livelihoods. And to keep suggesting that we need to control the virus as if that's what lockdowns do is disingenuous because it's not controlling the virus. As we see throughout the world, places that haven't locked down have no more control over the virus than places yeah. that have locked down yeah. and vice versa. The only benefits we see are that the economy thrives when you don't lock down. Exactly. The Dan Wooden Show on Talk Radio. The Mic Drop. Good evening, Mike Graham. How's your week been? Uh, it's been great, Dan. Absolutely amazing. I have to say there was a bit of a sort of lull today after all the euphoria of yesterday when everybody's worked out 
you know, it's all very well shouting and screaming from the rooftops about this vaccine. But when you find out that actually it doesn't stop you getting coronavirus um, and it doesn't necessarily stop you spreading coronavirus, you start to wonder uh, when you're going to get it. And if you do get it, uh, whether there's any point to it. So, you know, it was an interesting day today. Um, but there's been plenty to go on, plenty to talk about. And uh, we've been having some great numbers, by the way, this week. Absolutely yeah. fabulously um, uh, shooting into the into the air with with incredible popularity. That's all I can say. Well, absolutely. I know uh, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham is obviously flying. But I think really the whole station now has become one of the only places in the media where you can actually genuinely hear the story of coronavirus without bias. Because, Mike, I think some of the, the tone, the celebratory tone elsewhere uh, around the viruses, uh, sorry, around the vaccine is annoying people. Because remember, there are still six months of these restrictions. People's businesses are still being destroyed. People are still not able to go to the pub. I mean, it's not over yet. No, not at all. And and also you speak to real people on your show, as I do, Dan, and we hear voices of people uh, who are really hurting as a result of what's going on. You know, it's all very well for these kind of do-gooding, you know, public sector, you know, millionaires who work in the civil service in London with big houses like yes. you were complaining about earlier on in the show. You know, it's all right for them. But for people who can't make any money, I had a hotelier on uh, who's got two hotels in Kenilworth. He's been given £3,000 to close in the last month. And he needs 20,000 a week to break even, even if he's got nobody yeah. in the place. You know? So it's, it's completely and utterly out of all control, really. No, it is. It, it, it's a total joke. And then, Mike, at the same time, this woke madness goes on. And you have discovered this incredible, uh, ridiculous scenario where Sadiq Khan seemingly has decided to box up another one of London's favourite, uh, famous statues. Uh, this time it's it's Thomas Guy, who is the founder of yeah. Guy's Hospital, which was, of course, uh, a, a, a charitable uh, donation that he made, yes, from his fortune, which included shares in a slave trading company. And as a result, all of these years on, uh, it's not unable to be displayed, according to the woke people who seem to think that we now have to cover up our history rather than actually just talk about our history and be honest about it. Well, it, it made me wonder how much more of this has been happening, because, of course, we all know what happened to the Ed Colson statue in Bristol. And then there was another one shut down in Tower Hamlets, you might remember, yeah. uh, because that was somebody uh, who nobody had ever heard of called Milligan, who built uh, Docklands, basically. But they, they took his statue down. I was walking around just the other side of the office where Guy's Hospital is the other day and came across this monstrosity of, um, of cardboard and wood. And I thought, I wonder what that is. And then on the side of it is a notice that says this. The statue is being removed from public view, pending discussions about its future, including how we provide the right context for Thomas Guy's story. We are engaging with and receiving guidance from Mayor of London's new Commission for Diversity in the Public Realm to support this. Now, it turns out, right, that they did this in June, six months ago. So what's going on? Are they ever going to uh, uncover it? The, the context of Thomas Guy's story, by the way, is that he specifically gave money to start Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital for the poor people of London, not for the rich, not for people who, who could afford to pay for decent medicine, but in order to look after the poor. And also, they say he's got links to slavery. He had money and made money from something called the South Sea Company. Now, the South Sea Company did involve itself in some slave trading, but it wasn't exclusively doing that. It was a, it was a company that did all sorts of things. In fact, it loaned money to the government. So it had a short period of its life when it actually did transport slaves at one time. 
And that's the reason why this statue has been covered up. And it seems to me that if people walked around in other parts of the world, they might find that this is happening all over the place. Well, Mike, it's lunacy. It's when, lunacy. When is it going to be uncovered? Well, of course. And by the way, I, I don't trust this commission uh, that Sadiq Khan is putting no. together. Mike, I believe that every person on this commission will be a woke-topian. And so it's most likely that this commission will suggest that the statues are either taken down for good or put in, put in a museum. And what are we doing to ourselves? Why are we censoring our history? We'll have no yeah. Gandhi statue soon. We'll have no Churchill statue soon. This is the slippery slope we're on. Yes, and people accuse uh, people like me of getting all triggered and worked up about a piece of stone. Well, it's not about that. It's about the fact that we have to see everything in context. And guess what? The context of this is history. And history is there. Whether you like it or not, it's there. And I think the man who, who founded a hospital has every right to remain, uh, a, a, you know, absolutely as a hero for that for that particular area, because that's what he did for them. If it wasn't for him, think of all the people who go to the cancer centre now who wouldn't have a cancer yeah. centre to go to. And by the way, Mike, they say they're not going to change the name of Guy's Hospital. So so if you're I mean, how does that add up? I, I mean, what difference is there if there's a statue outside and the hospital is called Guy's Hospital? It doesn't add up, does it? We can't just right. erase our history. Uh, look, Mike, I also have to talk to you about Nicola Sturgeon because I've been triggered by her again this week, right? Because, you know, I've she keeps it. saying, she keeps saying, uh, I'm not going to politicise the coronavirus. And then she went right. on Andrew Marr on Sunday morning. And this, these were her actual words, Mike. She said, I don't think it should be seen as a competition, but we've got a lower death rate than England and Wales. We do have a lower prevalence at the moment than the other UK nations. Uh, quite awkwardly, Andrew Marr, and I will give him credit because, you know, the BBC are usually in the tank yes. for Nicola Sturgeon. I give Andrew Marr some real credit for this journalism. Do you know what he did, Mike? He put up an on-screen graphic proving that Scotland has had a far higher death rate per million for the past four weeks. So Nicola Sturgeon uh, was caught point blank lying. Why yeah. is the rest of the mainstream media not talking about it? Mike, it's just ignored. She she's a proven liar. Well, a fascinating piece actually in the Spectator this week points out that no matter how badly she does, mm. the more popular she becomes. But there's a myth going on here. I can tell you that because I talk to Neil Oliver every week, who's famously hated yeah, by the Scottish. Great this week. Great he, he wants, this week. He wants to be a unionist. He wants to remain part of the UK. He regards himself as British. The problem is. <laughs> Is that up in Scotland, there is this narrative that the SNP is winning over hearts and minds. Everybody wants to be uh, independent now. Everybody wants to see Scotland for what it is. I think the big mistake, actually, that we made uh, in the UK is allowing Scotland to have its own COVID policy because it looks like its own country now. It looks like it's being governed yeah. by somebody else other than Boris Johnson. Yeah. When Boris Johnson speaks, it looks like he now only speaks for England. Yeah. Whereas who's funding all the tests, Mike? Who's funding the tests? Who's going to be funding the vaccine? You know, it, it's the UK government. That's the reality. Yes. Well, every time Ian Blackford pops up on Prime Minister's questions, all he seems to do is ask for more money. You know, and he keeps talking about how they've been neglected north of the border. They've been given billions by us yeah. and they've been able to do with it what they want. They've also got a ludicrous um, number of I think they've got something like four or five thousand civil servants that power the, uh, the Scottish Parliament. They had to build an entire building down in the Leith docks in order to, to house them all. You know, they waste absolute fortunes of our money. And yet. You know, here we are looking north and going, oh, isn't she really clever? And isn't she really good? Well, she's not. And I used to know her very well, actually, when I lived when I lived and worked up there. Um, mm. And she was a fine woman in those days. She seems to have power seems to have gone to her head. She seems to have gone a bit mad. But the problem for Scotland now is that 
if they do get a referendum and if they do get a yes vote, then they're really in trouble because you won't know what to do with that. The Dan Wooden Show on Talk Radio. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast version of The Dan Wooten Show, which is the home of free speech. Remember, you can listen and watch us live from 4pm to 7pm every day on Talk Radio or YouTube. I'd love you to subscribe and do give us a rating as well, because that really helps other people find the podcast. I'm Dan Wooten. Thank you for listening. We'll speak again tomorrow.